The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 402. Power is not about dominance or corrosion or hostility. Nobody wins when you're in that kind of a situation. And what you get is you get a major power struggle because when people get pushed, our automatic response is to push back. Too often, power situations can feel like a rock in a hard place. If you're too assertive, you're labeled at best as overbearing and unapproachable. If you're too passive, your voice, ideas, and opinions are ignored. But by recognizing the ways to value all people, including yourself, you can make a choice to become empowered. Hi, welcome aboard. I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Guess what I believe makes all the difference in the world? Reading. That's what, not just reading, but then understanding the importance of taking action on what you read. And that's what we try to help you do right here each and every week as we dive into a brand new book and a brand new author. This time, that book and author is Gail Rudolph. She's written a book called Power Up, Power Down, How to Reclaim Control and Make Every Situation a Win-Win. I'll be asking Gail about what to do if and when you feel powerless, the role of things like choice and mindset when it comes to your power, methods for successfully protecting your boundaries, and much, much more. Well, since the release of my book, Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career, some exciting things have been happening. I've had the chance to get in front of a number of different companies around the country, including from my hometown of Indianapolis, Docket and Anvil, some of the staff at LinkedIn, Disney, and very soon, the Virginia Council of CEOs. I want to talk about and instill the values of reading and lifelong learning. And in particular, many of the concepts covered in my new book around increasing retention and comprehension, reading more in less time, increased focus, help with implementing what you learn, and much more. If you're part of a team that could benefit from this kind of training, whether virtually or in person, or you're looking for someone who can speak to these topics for your next event, I encourage you to reach out as I'd love to begin a conversation with you. The best way to do that is simply send me an email, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Once I hear from you, we can set up an exploratory call and determine if there is a good fit. I think there will be. Again, that email address is jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Gail Rudolph is an executive coach and trainer with 25 years serving in leadership positions across a spectrum of organizations. She's also a Cialdini Method certified trainer, one of only 13 people in the world, one of only two women, and the only woman in the United States to hold that distinction. Of course, that's training from Robert Cialdini, one of my favorite authors. Uh, She helps individuals, teams, and organizations maximize their impact by helping them pivot, change, grow, and move beyond what they've achieved previously with a mission to help others become positive agents of change. Her new book, already a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller, is called Power Up, Power Down, How to Reclaim Control and Make Every Situation a Win-Win. Gail, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me today. I want to say a big shout out to Honoré Quarter, 
who made the introduction. So Honoré, if you're listening, thank you for introducing me to Gail. My life is better. Thanks to, thanks to Honoré and, and to you, Gail. I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Well, thank you. And Honoré is just fabulous. So I, get, I second that shout out to her. <laughs> I love that you include Aesop's fable in the beginning, the North Wind and the Sun, which is summarized by gentleness and kind persuasion win where force and bluster fail. And I couldn't help but think all of the politicians and 24-hour news networks who could benefit by embracing that, that concept. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with a, a definition. I think it's important to kind of lay the groundwork here before we dive into some of the concepts of the book. And that's just what you mean by power. How do you define power in, in this context? You know, it's funny, Jeff, that you talked about our world today, because I think mm. that we have a misconception about power. Mm. You know, power as we as it's defined as simply the capacity or the ability to direct or influence behavior of other people or a course of events. And throughout time, power has taken on many meanings. Um, but power that we're talking about today is that unseen, mysterious energy that exists between each and us. It ebbs and flows back in every conversation, every interaction that we have. And that interaction can be positive or it can be negative. In order to really harness our power, we have to create an environment that actually enhances cooperation and diversity. And in the book, we talk about that this can be done through our mindset, through body movements and verbal interactions. So to spin off of the title of the book, Power Up, Power Down, it's actually how we harness uh, our both our verbal and our nonverbal communication. So powering up is really the choice we make to step into a fuller presence. Things like such as making eye contact or taking up space. Mm. We're powering down is actually intentionally changing our stance, expressing empathy, maybe giving other people a chance to talk or interrupt us and maybe choosing to speak in a lower volume. See, powering down, people tend to shy away from, but it's actually an intentional way to hold our power mm. while making other people feel more at ease. It's really the balance of the two that harnesses our own personal power. That's interesting. Now, what would you say to someone, Gail, who hears that and then responds by saying, but yeah, I, I, I feel powerless. What, what, what advice would you, would you give that person who, who feels that way or, or thinks that they feel that way? Well, there's a big misconception about power that you always need to have an upper hand, that power is about authority or it's about a position you hold, but it's not. Mm. See, if we're talking about creating a win-win situation when it comes to power, we're talking about mutual beneficial outcomes for all that's involved. See, power is not about dominance or corrosion or hostility. Nobody wins when you're in that kind of situation. And what you get is you get a major power struggle because when people get pushed, our automatic response is to push back. But have you ever been in a room where somebody enters? You have no idea what their status is. You have no idea who they are, what their position might be, but you just see that they exude power. And when they walk in the room, they just have this confidence. That's the power we're talking about. It's about a conscious choice that we make to look at other people and, and, and situations and to, to actually harness our power that's there. 
I want to hone in on something you just said. You use the word choice, and I think it's incredibly important that people understand the role of choice in all this. Talk a little bit more about the relationship between this kind of power you're talking about and, and choice. Well, I believe that there's always personal power to be assessed, and it's up to each and every one of us to step into our power. You see, there's no reason that we need to seek permission from other people as if to, if we're worthy to have power, to have influence. We already have it. And if you look at Viktor Frankl, who's a psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor, he has a quote that says, between a stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in that response lies our growth and our freedom. You see, true personal power is the intentional use of that space, that space between the stimulus and how we respond. You see, we have, a, we, we have that choice to use that space. Mm. And we can look at other people or situations as a natural enemy. But what happens is when we view them like that, our, we actually give our power away and we fear power at that point in time. And what I suggest we do is we flip the script and realize that these people and these situations, they're here to help us grow and to strengthen our ability and our character. You know, power is happening in every situation, no matter what. It's either happening at conscious level or it's happening at an unconscious level. But we actually can claim our power at that time, or we can relinquish it. Mm. The choice is actually ours. It's the power of the space and we control the space. Oh, that's that's refreshing. Um, you mentioned mindset earlier and, and the fact that it plays a role as well. Um, I wonder if you can talk a bit about the importance of examining what we think and believe about ourselves in the midst of this process and why that's, that's important. You know, Jeff, mindset plays a huge role when it comes to influence, you know, and our mindset is our choice and we have a choice and it's directly related to our power. You see how we respond to people, situations and experiences. That's our mindset. That's how we view everything. Mm. And our thoughts and our beliefs about ourselves are how we harness those thoughts and those beliefs are how we actually give our power away many times. Because if we don't believe that we're worthy, if we don't believe that we're enough, many times we relinquish our ability to harness that space that I talked about and we just let whatever happen happen. Mm. So I've discovered and research supports that to truly succeed, and to fully step into power, the first step is to stop those self-defeating, self-condemning thoughts and feelings that tell us that we're not enough. You know, the negative beliefs we have about ourselves and others eventually turn into unhealthy habits mm. and they intimidate us. They hold us back and we need to harness and grab a hold of that programming and, and take and grab a hold of it in our subconscious. Those things that are eroding at our self-worth. And we need to take a stand and take them back and get rid of those negative beliefs. And sometimes that's self-talk, you know, instead of saying, I can't do something, we need to replace it with, I can't. See, I believe that the, the, the truth of the matter is that we only have the power to, to change ourselves. We can't change anything mm. or anyone else outside of ourselves. Because you see, I believe that life happens through us, not to us. Mm. 
And when we harness that idea, when we think about that, we have the power to choose. And when we take control over ourselves and we quit wasting our time and energy trying to change everybody else, because <laughs> we do, believe me, don't we? I mean, you talked about the world right now. That's exactly what's happening. We're trying to change everybody else. And when we quit wasting our time and energy of that, and we realize that we have our own personal power, then when we harness it, it, be, it we're able to actually then change our response. And when we change our response, we can change the interaction people have with us. Mm, well said. Well, let's get to influence. And you touched on this earlier. I want to dig into it a little bit more deeply. Often when people think of words like power and, and influence, which you dig into in chapter four, they think in terms of some of the negative aspects of that control and manipulation. Talk a bit more about what the, the ethical use of power and influence together looks like. Well, first of all, let me say that influence and power used properly is not about controlling others. Mm. And it's not about getting them to do something despite their own resistance. Mm. That's not power at all. That's hierarchy. That's dominance. And nobody, nobody wins in that situation. The ethical use of power and influence is about mutual empowerment. And one of the things I learned when I studied under Dr. Cialdini was that that's what he talked about when he talked about influence. He spent his life studying influence and writing books about it. And one thing that that really fascinates me in his work is something called triggers. See, mm. triggers are something that we have. They're a natural human tendency for an automatic shortcut or response to something. And I found them completely fascinating because they're kind of small, subtle signs to people or situation that cause us to react at not really a conscious level, mm. but they're more at an emotional or a physiological level. So when you think about these triggers, they're very beneficial for the most part. Mm. So when you're looking for a good deal, a sale sign can be a trigger. So, you know, it's going to help you find what you want. It's going to help what you're looking for. However, some triggers hinder us. And that's where it gets into the problem with power when we talk about power and influence. So we have to understand these triggers because we will react to these triggers immediately if we're not conscious about them. Mm. So think about if somebody raises their voice, we are naturally triggered to yell back at them. And what happens is that we give up or we hand over our power and our influence when we actually raise our voice to them. So being aware of these triggers is actually a way to understand how to harness that space in between a stimulus and a response and to enhance our influence. Again, we're talking about making a choice in that space of whether to power up or power down in order to take control of that space. Mm. Now, I've, I've talked to a number of, of clients as recently as last week uh, about instilling boundaries where currently few exist. It, it seems to me that this is a concept that is still new for, for a lot of people. What have you learned about boundaries in your work and dealing with others who might be trying to push their way into them or beyond them? Well, I refer to boundaries as the secret sauce to your own interpersonal power. Mm. And to define boundaries, just so that everybody's clear, it's the limitations that we put around our time, our energy, and our money. So for me, when I think about boundaries, because I've had a problem in the past in, in true transparency of holding my boundaries. So what I do when I think about boundaries is I think about my father and his yard. 
So my father was meticulous about how he kept his yard. He would go through his yard, make sure there was no rocks. Back then, they didn't have catchers. So a rock getting caught in a propeller could hurt somebody, put out a window, do all kinds of things. So he was constantly taking care of his and grooming his yard, which when we think about boundaries, if we think about it as a yard, it's our, it's our limits that we put around our time, energy, and our money. And we need to pay attention to that. Mm. But if you looked to an somebody who drove by, they wouldn't know where the property line of our yard ended and our neighbors began. But I can tell you that my father and our family knew exactly where our property line ended. We mowed and groomed right up to it. And our neighbor knew exactly where his began. Mm. If we think about boundaries kind of in that kind of analogy, I think that it helps us to think about taking responsibility for the things that are ours and allowing, not doing the disservice of other people, of taking responsibility for the things that should be theirs. Mm. But I know that there are people in the world, and I've I've dealt with them. I've lived with them. I've had a hard time uh, holding my own boundaries. Uh, and there are people that just do what I call boundary busting. They mm. just want to come in and they want to plow through your boundaries. And what happens is many times we allow them, we allow ourselves to take responsibility for their things. And what we can do is make sure that we're harnessing and controlling and maintaining things that we're supposed to. Mm. So I always say that some of the tips you can use when somebody's trying to bust your boundaries is to actively listen, change your tone of voice, you know, change your body language. So it's not threatening. Use authentic curiosity. There may be a reason why they're wanting to to come through your boundaries, good or bad. And then sometimes finding a mutual similarity also helps. But boundaries are there. They're our purpose and they help us to live to our fullest purpose. And if we are not aware, and that's one thing I found is being aware and thinking of what are my boundaries? <laughs> Where do my limits stop? And defining mm. them and then com- clearly communicating them with other people actually can help people from actually trying to uh, bust through our boundary lines or our property lines, as you might say. Yeah, you know, when I, I was speaking of, of clients earlier, I was thinking of a specific client. I had a conversation last week who she seemed shocked when I gave her permission in, in the context of that call to use the word no and, and that no could be a, a complete sentence. That, that was something that she hadn't considered before. <laughs> and that if she would start by putting some boundaries on her time, and, and, and that starts with planning her day and her week first and, and identifying how she wants to leverage it such that when requests come, she has something to look at and compare to and go, no, I can't, I can't do that for you because this if they feel like they need a reason, gave her, gave her a few more options, gave her the, the ability to say no. But I cautioned her too with going beyond the no, because then that gives the other person sometimes a chance to poke holes in, in, the, in the things and the reasons you can't do this for that. Is that something that you've, you've walked people through in the past? Absolutely. So one of the, the biggest problems with boundaries is that people think boundaries are just going to happen. Or they think that it's other people's responsibility to hold their boundaries. So you blame them for busting through their boundaries. But no is a word that when we were two years old, we were taught was a bad thing to say. Mm, Right. And and Jeff, 
honestly, a lot of women saw that society has, has conditioned us to say that, you know, to take on everything, to take care of everybody mm. and everything. And if we don't take the time to understand what's our best use of our time, our energy and our money, mm. we can't expect other people to know that if we don't know it ourselves. And then if we don't communicate it to them. Mm. So boundaries don't happen by choice. Boundaries are a decision. And, and because boundaries are the secret sauce to power, you're going to relinquish your personal power if you don't understand what your boundaries are. Mm. And I like that you give a lot of great examples, potential scenarios that someone might find themselves in and, and how to handle that scenario. Those are, those are very helpful. Uh, well, uh, Gail's book is not uh, divided into parts uh, per se, but if, if, if it were, part two would probably kick off with uh, the chapters on the different power personalities and, and how, to, how to best approach each one. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of them necessarily, but I'm, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe highlighting two or three of them, Gail, and your advice for how to handle each of those that you choose to, to highlight, if you would. Um, we gave them cute little names because although they're very serious topics, Jeff, <laughs> um, sometimes I think when you put little names and illustrations to them, it helps us to remember them and identify them and not be so scared about them. Mm. And the one thing I want to say is we don't want to get into labeling people. I say, if you label people as one of these kind of power personalities, um, then, then you're breaking down communication also. Mm. But if you're going to label somebody, you label them as friend, but these are scenarios and it just kind of helps you understand where your power and how to use your power in the situation. Mm. So one that I see so often, and since we just talked about boundaries, it falls right in line with boundaries. And that's the insulter offloader. So the insulter offloader kind of erodes at our self-confidence and our self-worth. And what he does, or he or she does, is that they will insult you. And while you're emotionally kind of reeling from the insult that they have just given you, they will dump their work on you. The best example, the biggest example I saw of this was at a hospital where uh, I was visiting a family. Uh, I was a friend of a family that was actually uh, watching their, their father pass away. And mm -hmm. I watched this interaction between the brother and the sister. The sister was in charge of the medical care of the family. The brother was in charge of all the financial and business of the family. Um, the mother was still, of course, in good health and alive. Mm. And what happened was he walked up to the sister and said, well, I guess you didn't see this coming. Now, keep in mind, she's already feeling bad enough that the father's passing and she just, she just gets overwhelmed immediately and does, you know, just starts reeling from, oh my gosh, I feel like I haven't done my job. Now, mm. the, the gentleman was in his 90s. So, you know, it, it's not that she had not done her job in any way, shape or form. Right. But what happened was the brother in this situation, then as she was reeling said, oh, by the way, I've been trying to change their address at, at the social security office. And every time I call, I, they put me on hold for two or three hours. Would you mind changing their address? And because she was so in the middle of dealing with the emotions, mm. She said, okay, and she took the information from him. And that's an example of an insulter offloader. And what happens and how they can, can do that to us and take our power away in those situations is because we don't hold our boundaries. So we need to keep our emotions intact and know what is it we are responsible for and mm. what is it that they're responsible for. Where do we stop and where do they we begin? And that's one thing that I see with the insulter offloader. 
That happens a lot in the work environment too. All of the scenarios actually are in the work environment or Mm. can be in your home environment or your personal life with friends and family. You know, we're getting ready to come up on the holiday season, which is really interesting because I think some of these play out uh, (laughs) as we as we enter our family dinners. (laughs) Well, do you mind sharing uh, maybe one or two more? That one was really fascinating. Yeah. The uh, the next one we call is the snaker. The snaker is the person usually at work or in the family that uses charm. They're very funny. You want to be around them. They're always making jokes. They're just kind of the life of the party. But what happens with them is that sometimes that's kind of a facade in order to actually get you or to get you to tell them what your ideas or your thoughts are that they later are going to take credit for. Mm. And it's really interesting. And when you watch this play out, and I've seen this play out uh, so many times, when you actually watch for these, you'll find them and see them everywhere. In fact, Mm. many people say they put names to people as I talk about them. (laughs) But but the snaker actually is fun. He's great. Mm. And your guard is down. So you share with them lots of information. But it only takes once to kind of get bit by the snaker to realize what's happening. Mm. And when you're working with a snaker, you want to really be careful that you power down with the snaker because they, because they bite, you want to keep in mind that they do bite. And if you're going to go head to head with them, you're going to get bit maybe Mm. more than once. So you want to be mindful how much you share with them at work and with whom you share it. You want to definitely keep your emotions in check because they will reel in on your emotions and you want to be able to power down with them to make sure that you're not butting heads because then you're going to get into a power struggle. And just like the name says, you don't want to be in a power struggle with a snake because the good chances are you won't come out very good. There was, I can't remember if it was the snaker or if it was another one where you advised one of the ways to handle them was to get them talking in meetings and get them offering positive information. It, it was it was the person, it was it was the typical personality that would maybe drop negative little bombs and rumors here or there. And in the context of a meeting with a bunch of people present, you would try to pull out of them positive things that would make those other things less likely to happen or less impactful. Am I getting that right or am I confusing? You are. You are talking about the toxic pollinator. And when oh, we think okay. about the, the toxic pollinator, I think of a little bee that flutters around, right? And pollinates mm. a little trouble here, there, and sows discord yes. throughout yes. the office. They could be doing it intentionally. They can be doing it unintentionally. That's why we need to be careful about putting labels on people because a toxic pollinator can just be frustrated about something and they're going to talk to people and they don't realize mm. that they're doing it. And I also want to caution that many times, uh, we all have been one of these characters or situations yeah. uh, and, and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, need to look at our own behavior with it. Mm. But a toxic pollinator actually goes around and talks to people. And then what happens is things get very heated. And a lot of times you'll come back into a meeting and it'll blow up. Right. Mm. And, and people are kind of sitting in the room going wow, I, you know, what, what just happened here? Everybody's emotionally charged. Um, the thing about a toxic pollinator, and that goes back to uh, Dr. Cialdini's uh, principle of consistency. We have a need in us to remain consistent with things that we've previously said or done. And with a toxic pollinator, one of the, the best ways to actually deal with them is to bring back to their conscious awareness, usually in public or around mm-hmm things that they've said that's positive about the team, about Mm -hmm. 
um, uh, and remind them of those things because it kicks into that need to be consistent with what we've said and done before. I recognized myself as uh, in the past an unintentional toxic pollinator. <laughs> that was that was one I could certainly put my finger on. Well, I haven't asked much about the last third or so of, of the book. I've got some questions I want to touch on that aren't related to the book. But before that, anything else that I didn't touch on from that last third or anywhere else that you want to make sure we walk away with? I just want to make sure that people know that you have, you can harness your power right now. It's something you mm-hmm. can walk away with right now and begin using. It's not a hard thing to do. Um, and just learn it, you know, learn mm. which tools to use in which situation. And because it hasn't been talked about a lot, we fear it. And there's no reason to mm. fear it. Well, I've been doing some, some study, uh, some work recently on some personal habits that, that I believe are super impactful on one's life and, and work. And I'm curious to know your experience with these habits, not necessarily that you practice them all, but I just love to get your feedback as to whether or not they resonate with you. And if so, how they play out in your personal life. Uh, And starting with what I call dancing with discomfort, it's this idea of doing things consistently that take you outside your comfort zone, that that push you uh, beyond it. Any examples from your personal life of how you regularly try to make sure you're doing that? Jeff, this is something my grown children and I do a lot. So Mm. We actually make it a point. We get, we realize that people naturally get into habits. So one of the things that we get in habits about is where do we go eat, right? We always yeah. have our favorite restaurants. We go back to the same place. Mm-hmm. So we make it a habit to actually go to a different restaurant or try a different kind of food that we've never done before. We intentionally make a choice to do that. Mm-hmm. The other thing we do is we hold each other accountable. If we catch one of us saying, you know, I'd like to try that, or that sounds like fun, we make a mental note of it and we remind each other, have you done that yet? Um, I'm going to be going uh, ziplining with my son because I said, you know, I've never been ziplining. That kind of sounds like fun. So we are actually scheduling that probably <laughs> within the next two months to actually go ziplining because I made this. The statement, <laughs> the commitment to do it, and and that kind of that kind of dovetails with the the fourth habit. I'll go ahead and touch on on that one now instead of going in order. But that's that's what I call assembling your advisors, and that's just this idea of connecting regularly with like minded people who encourage you, who challenge you, who hold you accountable uh, to the things that you say you're going to do. So it sounds like for you and your that plays out a lot of times in your personal life as much as anything else. Is that accurate? Yeah, my children and my friends in my personal life and not all my friends. I, you know, there's some that that are good at holding you accountable for things. Um, my children, uh, we definitely hold each other accountable for things. In my work life, I have a mastermind group and mm. I have developed friendships in there that hold me accountable to things in work, uh, in my professional life that I need to actually move forward with. And um, they are, you know, my rock. I mean, mm. And, and I make sure that there are people that are energetic, that there are people that believe in me, because there's nothing like somebody holding you accountable that doesn't believe in you. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's not helpful. <laughs> so you want to make sure and pick people that actually believe in you and are encouraging and usually have a high energy level. The, the second habit relates to a reading habit. Uh, what do you do, if anything, to ensure you dedicate time to reading intentionally and consistently, assuming uh, that you do? I read every night before I go to bed. And that that habit is, I think, is twofold. One, it makes sure that you read. It also makes sure that you're not looking at a blue screen, which is not healthy for your brain and your mind, right, uh, before you fall asleep. 
So I think that we suffer a lot from um, a society that uh, we're sleep deprived. And I think that that a lot of that is related back to the ability that we watch our blue screens. We watch our TV as opposed to reading a book. Reading in a book has so much more value to us in so many different ways. So if people are having problems sleeping through the night, reading is a great thing to, to do that. So I always read right before I go to bed. Excellent. A lot of the authors that I've talked to, Gail, touch on or have recognized as I've evaluated their lives, uh, the importance of calling out the things in their lives that, that give energy versus things that might zap their energy, uh, differentiating between the two and setting up their, their lives and schedules such that they give more time to the things that give them energy and less time to the things that zap their energy, whether that's delegation or, or what have you. Anything in your life that, that, that you do that speaks to that, anything you, you try to, to do, whether that's an audit occasionally on your schedule to make sure you're spending time in the areas that give you energy versus zap your energy? Well, there's two things I do. The team that I work with or that works with me, I always make sure that we try to schedule people doing the job that that energizes them. Mm. I think that just, you know, some people are good at things. Some people are not good at things. Some people get energy from things. Other people don't. But what are those things? And making sure that they're doing those instead of somebody doing something that may fall technically in their job description that, that, Mm. just drains their energy. So trying to find those in the first place and recognizing those. The other thing is scheduling time to make sure you do it. When I look at my schedule and it is full of things that I know are going to take a lot of my energy that are going to be very draining on me, I block my schedule. Mm. And it sounds counterintuitive because you think I have so much to do. But what happens, and if you really study the way that we're wired up, when we give ourselves some white space, when we give ourselves that energy, it actually sets us up to be able to do the other work quicker, faster, and better. Otherwise, the work expands to the time that we allow, right? What is that? Parkinson's law, I think. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If, if we don't put boundaries on it, it's going to take longer. If we put parameters on it and block out the time, we'll be more focused, I think is what you're saying. Exactly. And when, and again, when we talk about boundaries, it's our, our time, our energy and our money. And it's really deciding who's going to take control of my time or energy and money. I'm going to define that. What am I going to give away? And what am I not? Well, this last one is, is sort of related to schedule a little bit. I call it master your mornings. What I consider to be the importance of a morning ritual pouring into your, your own life and uh, filling your own cup, I guess, before you attempt to attack the day. How important for you is a consistent morning ritual? And, and, and how, if you do one, how does it tend to kind of unfold for you? I do not start my day without a morning ritual. <laughs> I have found that it is the key to actually setting my intention for the entire day. Mm. If I don't do it, everything in my day will go wrong. I will be frustrated. So what I do um, is before I get in a shower, before I do anything, I spend at least 15 minutes sometimes longer. If I can get longer, I love it, but no less than 15 minutes in the morning in prayer and meditation mm. and those things that actually set my intention for the day. I believe that so many things in life are a choice. You know, I heard it said once that there's two ways to view life. You can view it as if everything's a miracle or as if nothing is. Mm. And if you want to set that intention for your day, um, you can then look at your day and the things that come at you that you would 
maybe otherwise look as not so good, you can look at it and know they have a meaning and a purpose in that it's it's working for your better good. So mm. um, I can tell a huge difference if by some chance I've missed that. So it's it's my it's my go-to. I will not start my day anymore without that. I'll be late for a meeting before I miss it. <laughs> and and you offered some some maybe intentional, maybe unintentional encouragement there, I think, uh, in your answer, because I think a lot of people think that a morning ritual is something that has to be an hour long. And, and you just mentioned that yours is 15 minutes. It can be that short and still be super powerful, super impactful, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's about making your choice before something happens, how you're going to respond or react to it. You know, how, how am I going to, how am I going to approach this? Well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Gail's book again is called Power Up, Power Down, How to Reclaim Control and Make Every Situation a Win-Win. As I said earlier, it's already a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. You need to add it to your list. Gail, thank you so much for coming on the show and being a part of the Read to Lead podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me. It's absolutely been my pleasure. I think Gail's book is well worth your time. I encourage you to pick it up. Of course, I've linked to it from the show notes page for this episode. You can find that and more resources and a summary of this episode on my website at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 402 for episode 402. Remember that offer too I mentioned at the beginning of this episode regarding in-person or virtual training or speaking at your next event in and around the topics of lifelong learning and reading and reading improvement. I can be reached at jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. That's jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, at the time this episode is being published, it is just a few days before Christmas. I want to take time to wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a safe holiday. We'll be back next week, our last episode of 2021. So don't miss that. That'll be on the 28th. Well, that does it for this episode. I look forward to seeing you on the 28th for episode 403. Until then, as always, leaders read and readers lead. Read.